Hello everybody and welcome to What's the Story Podcast Woo yeah this is little old WTS turning the big 203 in the midst of a global pandemic. Wash your hands. No. Yeah, just wash your hands, stay at home and don't be a Yeah, dog. Lads, it's a bank holiday weekend, right? I'm gonna put this out a little bit early. Uh, because we we didn't put one out last week. Um, but just fucking just stay at home, lads. Just I don't care how bored you are. It doesn't matter. Just stay at home to fuck. It'll be worth it. In a, in like a few weeks or a few months time, however long this lasts, it will pass. And when it does, we'll all be on the other side of it. So just stay the fuck at home. Help the nurses out. Help the doctors out. Help people out who have compromised immune systems. Don't be a selfish dickhead. Yeah, exactly. Well said, Danny. Couldn't say it better myself. Lovely. Anyway, this is WTS two oh three, and um, yeah, we we've. <laughs> I mean, there's no need to go into a big preamble about this, is there? No, but we just go into it. Yeah, do you know what? Let's just go into it. Let's just go into it. You introduce one of our guests there. Who do we have? D- this is going to be mayhem. Um, we we've two guests. And uh, anybody who, who can read already knows who they are, but I like to do the drama and do the introductions. So, Mero, I'll introduce one and you introduce the other. How's that? Go. Yeah. All right. This man has many titles. Many. But most recently, since getting a new haircut, he's going by the modern-day messiah. <laughs> he, he is sporting what can only be described as the greatest <laughs> shirt I have ever seen in my life. Thank you. And he is the answer to all life's problems and the problems to all of life's answers. He's the wonderful Gary Mackle. Good evening. Good evening. How are you, Gar? Good, good. Uh, enjoying lockdown, getting loads done, and the weather's great. And I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm positive. Good, Gary, good. can you give the introduction to our other second guest the way you can? Ah, uh, listen, this guy... I said about a year ago he should be the next president of the country. National treasure. Genius. Uh, loves a gun off mince pie. <laughs> and uh, he's one of the most likable people in the country, Mr. Paul Howard. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So yeah. this is the... I tell you, after after being locked down for four weeks, uh, just to have an excuse to brush my teeth like was just brilliant tonight. Like, you know, it's just you know, even though even though you can't, you know, obviously can't can't smell my breath or anything like that. You know, I just thought I'm gonna look my best. So uh, I shaved uh, yesterday because uh, I knew it was coming on, and then I brushed my teeth uh, about about twenty minutes ago. Like you know, just just to kind of be, I put my shoes on because they say. <laughs> Uh, I was doing a work call on um, Skype yesterday and they say, put your shoes on because apparently if you're just wearing like socks or slippers or something like you, you're a bit more lackadaisical and the F word could slip out or something. You'd be on a work call. And uh, so so I put my shoes on for it as well. So I'm kind of ready to go. Like, you know, I'm kind of I'm in the zone. Really. I, was on a, I was on a work call last week, Paul. There's about 10 of us on the call on the Zoom. And the director was saying goodbye to everyone. The manager was saying goodbye to everyone. Mm. And uh, before we all hung up, all you hear is the toilet flushing. 
<laughs> Somebody had their laptop in the toilet. <laughs> and of course, I called it out. I said, who the hell is that on the toilet? Nobody answered. And the boss rang me straight away. And he was like, trust you to call that out. I said, absolutely. Someone's flushing the toilet after a Barry White. And see, this is the danger when, when, we, when we get into weeks and weeks of this. Like, you know, that especially... Uh, when we're self-isolating with our loved ones like you know because we're all going to find out stuff about each other that we, we we maybe don't like like habits and all that kind of thing you know it's a it's going to be a big test for everybody you know yeah Emma's, Emma's working from home as well and her work voice she sounds like a, a Polish person who's been living in Kinsale for eight years <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Gemma speaking. Hello, Gemma speaking. What is wrong here? <laughs> There's somebody who's settling into the area and they try yeah. the lingo then. Yeah. It's cringe. It's absolutely yeah. cringe. Yeah. I, I know somebody, I'm not I'm not gonna name names, but I know somebody very close to me, uh, who who's <laughs> self-isolating and with a loved one, you know, and uh, her the place she works in is one of those places where they all talk in jargon, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're going to go open kimono on this one, this kind of nonsense, you know? <laughs> and uh, anyway, this part, like this friend of mine was passing by the room and uh, from the room where his wife was working, he just heard, uh, I really need to lubricate this. <laughs> like, like, that's what? Like, that's totally unnecessary as a metaphor, isn't it? Like, there's other ways of saying that. That's deliberately filthy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, somebody, yeah. that's somebody who's trying to push the boundaries of work. I, I think so. Yeah. I reckon it's 10 grand for sexual harassment in that, you know? <laughs> it's, it, sounds like, it sounds like something Graham Merrigan says regularly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you get much work done. Yeah, it's, it's weird because, like... I. There, there hasn't really been any kind of noticeable change to my lifestyle uh, since this thing started, because this time of year, I'm self-isolating anyway. Like, so I have a, I had a Russell Carl Kelly book, uh, a Gordon Darcy book, and another children's book I'm working on that were all due uh, at the end of April. So I've kind of been self-isolating from the second, the second week in January, just doing what I always do. The only difference, I suppose, we're in, we're in Avoca, and uh, so I don't have a commute in the morning. I'm not driving anywhere. Like, I'm, I'm getting up. I get, I get up early anyway, so I'm sitting at my desk at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I have a day's work done by lunchtime, you know? And uh, so I'm getting tons done. I'm getting loads done. But I have a bit of cabin fever as well because it's just not natural, this thing, you know, it's not, yeah, yeah. it's just not normal, like, you know. And, if, uh, you have, if you have a, wor a work day done by one o'clock, I'm, I'm sure you nap during the afternoon, do you? No, just do overtime then in the afternoon. <laughs> 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 but I'm doing a bit of, uh, so it's doing some gardening, like, you know, and uh, because I'm, I've got obsessive compulsive tendencies, like, you know, I like, I like to be in control. And so, you know, those of us who are, who have, obsessive compulsive tendencies are very frustrated at the moment because we can't control anything but one thing i can control is the garden so we came down here on a thursday thursday night the, the day leo said go home right uh so we're in the house 
And on the Friday, I just chopped, like I absolutely battered the garden. Like, you know, I went out with the clippers and I had all these like huge bushes and like they're just stumps now. Like I chopped the hell out of them, like just absolutely <laughs> hacked everything. And then I ordered uh, uh, about 30, 30 bags of bark mulch from Bolands and Arclo. And before we came on air, Gary told me they're closed, which has just broken my heart because I needed 34 for the garden. I'm about four short. So I have a patch. It's driving me mad. Like, you know, that will that's terrible news now that they're closed. Like that will drive me mad for the next few weeks, completely and utterly mad. So I don't know whether I can steal some bark mulch from one of the neighbors. Maybe at night. <laughs> there's a few gardens around here are very nicely mulched. Uh, it's kind of like uh sucking diesel out of a car or something like you know there's a way of doing it without leaving without leaving any evidence so i might do that but it would drive me completely insane and mary mary be looking out the window she sees this tendency in me you know and mary keeps looking out the window so i was, I was kind of raking the gravel and there's not a leaf in the gravel like i was down on my hands and knees like for four hours one day picking every single dead leaf out of the gravel and then we have Pa uh, what are they called? Bamboos and the so the bamboos you get these tiny little things that size, like little leaves, dead leaves. And I was picking them out like a lunatic, like you know. Anyway, cleared all of the gravel, and Mary keeps looking at the window, going, "I could see a leaf out there, but she won't tell <laughs> me where the leaf is, <laughs> or even if there is a re if there really is a leaf." So I'm just walking around like a madman. Like even at night, just staring at the gravel, seeing can I find, <laughs> seeing can I find a leaf. And I, I, I know the garden well enough to know that wasn't there yesterday. <laughs> oh Jesus! So I'm cracking up. Like that's the, the, I suppose the short answer to your question is I'm cracking up. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Gary? Are you, Gary? Are you a gardener? I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be uh, into the floral side of it, but I would keep it maintained in terms of freshly painted and all that. So the guard uh, tomorrow I'll be finished. I've done all the fences and walls and stuff. Um, but the dogs got groomed yesterday, up beside you and the Volk actually, Paul. Oh yeah. And yeah. as we all know, when my dogs get groomed, they're like pricks for two days after it. But uh, we were out in the garden today, starting out where Gemma wanted stuff, and Gizmo was like a briar, and he walked down to where we were, and he just looked at me. And I looked at him and I turned away and I turned back. He was pissing on the freshly painted wall. Oh, and he knew, ex yeah, yeah, knew purpose, exactly yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. As if to say, yeah. you are a prick. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I'm keeping busy. Uh, it's, I suppose it's, you feel sorry for the kids being, you know, locked up and, and whatnot. But you get out for a walk and like, Jesus, look, worst things going on. You could be, in ICU, in, in Vincent's, or, you know, on a ward where you don't know what the future holds for you. So uh, everything in, in moderation. But speaking of OCD stuff, I would be like that with the dishwasher if, if stuff isn't put in properly. Oh, yeah. Like I, I've went into that fucking kitchen on occasion and I'll take everything out of it and I'll, I'll re-put it in. It's madness. I mean, my fucking kids put things in upside, classes in upside down. Do you think they're going to wash put in like that? Come on, lads. Uh, How old are they, Gary? Five and nine. <laughs> That's old enough to know better, isn't it? It is. To know be better. You know, yeah. and, and they do know better. I'm convinced they do it because they want me to have a fucking stroke or something. 
Gary, Gary, how would you feel about glasses going on the lower level of the dishwasher? Jesus, no. <laughs> they don't go there. Sure, they could break. Do you put them on the lower deck? I, Gary, I'm, I'm only asking a question. No, uh, don't put them there. Jesus, if anything for health and safety, don't put them there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely and, and, not. And if, would you ever be concerned that if you had, say, a large pan or pot on the lower deck that the stuff on the top, or deck, top deck wouldn't get washed properly? Well, I wouldn't put a pan in anyway. Right, okay. The dishwasher is, is the short answer there. Uh, I would wash it with hot water. And I wouldn't even put fairy liquid on it either. Hot water, rinse it out, and then a bit of kitchen towel and dry it out. Yeah, Jesus, don't... Leave a film of oil on it. That's what they say as well, you know, because you don't want to wash. You don't want to wash all that off. There has to be. I know with the chip pan, I usually do the chip pan like on a on a Sunday morning from the the night before, and uh, put the oil back, you know, in the bottle and everything. But I I only wash that lightly, Gary. I only mm. I like that part. I wash it lightly. I don't scrub the hell out of it. Jesus, you no. want that? You want that film of oil? Like that's that's banked. You know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of an investment on the next chips that you make. You know, so there's, there's, there's flavor locked in there, isn't there? Yeah, there oh, is. No question. No question. There's a chap in work recycles gravy. So if, if, if he makes up gravy and there's some left in the pot, and even if it's kind of if it goes filmy, yeah, he'll put it into a lunchbox and he'll freeze it, and then he'll put it into the next batch of gravy. All right. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna start doing it. And there's, there's very few things that w- that won't freeze. I think we're learning that now, aren't we? Mm. You know, yeah. like I, I had some quiche uh, that I froze after a barbecue that we had last summer, you know, and I ate that the other day. And I was very sick afterwards, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it did freeze. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, awesome. It's, it's 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 a great thing the old freezer because sometimes you'll open it and you'll move the bag of frozen veg and what lies behind it is both shocking and pleasant at the same time and you kind of yeah. look forward to it then you know yeah like like kind of opening your freezer in late march to find turkey parcels from christmas oh yeah i mean that's a, I, I mean, I, I did a lot of uh, turkey curries there after Christmas. I, you know, I, I sort of, after, the, uh, on Stephen's day, I just sort of made a massive curry and put them in little zipper bags and they're in the freezer, you know, and I had them for months, like, so I'd be working late on a Wednesday night, bung one in the microwave, it was great. But we've done this thing now, we bought a we bought a box of uh, mint cornettos. Uh, oh, that's oh. right. But you know what we did? Like, now, if you can get over the fact that it, that it, you're actually basically just eating cold toothpaste, right? Um, <laughs> taste like they do taste like Aquafresh. Uh, it's Aquafresh, and it's like brushing my teeth, like eating the things. But apart from that, uh, we take them out of the box, right? So they're they're not in the box anymore, and we put them in little drawer, like we hide them in the freezer, like because they won't all fit, because we've so much stuff in that freezer now. Like we're 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 shopping for the Armageddon, like you know, so. We've got the we've got the cornettos like secreted into corners of the freezer, but it's great because you pull something out and you say, "I think we'll have the the chicken breasts tonight." You pull out and a cornetto falls on the floor beside you, you know. <laughs> just sort of say, "I'll hide that for later. I'll have that later on," you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 the, see that's it's the little joys right now that are getting people through the day, lads. And mm. and if I had a little cornetto fall out 
on the floor. I I don't think I'd be able to save for later. I'd be like, stop what we're doing. Everybody press pause. It's amazing. What a feeling. Like it's like Italian 90 all over. And that <laughs> I go when that Cornetto hits the floor, you just look down and say, That's how I felt during yeah. Italian 90. Like it's just that exciting. Have you done any more with random purchase buying during the lockdown, Paul? Uh purchase buying. Remember the last time you said you what was it? You were you bought a lamp or something on Amazon? Oh, yeah, I'm all sorts of stuff on Amazon, like, you know. We've got to know John the Postman really, really well, like, since <laughs> since the lockdown. But just from a distance, we're sort of six or eight weeks. <laughs> but we're all, because we're all doing our gardens, uh, I do this thing. I, I've, I've been talking to neighbours I never spoke to before, like, you know, ever. This is a fantastic thing, even though we're socially isolating. Uh, I'm getting to know neighbours I never spoke to before, just because I've never seen them before, you know. Now, there'd be eight or ten feet between us at the time. Well, I, I like uh, I like talking to them about uh, kind of DIY equipment, you know. Everybody's out using something. I don't know anything about DIY equipment. But I like. I feel very manly when people think I know about DIY equipment. Like, so, you know, you just stop. So somebody be doing something in the garden and I just stop and go, uh, oh, what are you using for that? And then they say, oh, that's a, you know, RSJ353. And they go, oh, right. And I pull this face, right? Is this, are we, is this just recorded? Are we doing vi- video as well? It'll, it'll, it'll be audio when people are listening, but this will just be for us. Right, so I just pull this face. I just go. <laughs> yeah. And see if, to say, I wouldn't have used that myself, but, yeah. you know, that's an interesting way of going at it. Like, And then right. I just walk off enigmatically. <laughs> I find... I find no matter how little you know about something, the look you've just used, or just if you just give enough to plant a seed of doubt in somebody else's head, no matter how much they know about a topic, you yeah. become the authority. Yeah. You you know what I mean? So I you, I you do it with silence, don't you? You just go yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's all it takes. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's like a game of pool against a randomer or something, isn't it? Yeah. You're hustling them down the garden. Fuck them. <laughs> um, Have you made any purchases, Gary? Funny, uh, Paul mentions Amazon. I went down to Amazon last night because I was looking for a particular paintbrush and <laughs> it'd be probably about 30 quid in the shop. Bezos has it on Amazon for 57 euro. <laughs> Bezos has it on He's listening to himself. <laughs> And <laughs> he owns the fucking thing. He's the world's richest man, Graham. <laughs> because because he knows that that we're looking for equipment, and he has it at nearly twice the fucking price. Do you know how much he's charging? Do you know how much he's charging for a nine-inch purdy white dove roller sleeve? Twenty-seven euros. It should be about seven euros. That does seem very high, doesn't it? Yeah. Fucking disaster. Yeah. What's he, Gary, what was that you, last purchase there, Gary? A party nine-inch white dove roller sleeve. It's synthetic and it doesn't. It's synthetic and it doesn't shed hair. You can use it in oils or acrylics. Can I just check that? That is something for painting, and it's not something something else now. This conversation hasn't shifted, has it? <laughs> no, it's it's a nine-inch paint sleeve. I might just check your house tomorrow, Gary, and I'll say, uh, "What's that you're using?" <laughs> what are you using to do that oh, interesting yeah. but uh, I've been doing a lot of painting and I'm trying to use up the paint that I have and 
I, I mixed up some paint to, to do another wall out the back in a different colour. And uh, Gemma says to me, I wouldn't mind that if it was a bit more blue. I said, well, we don't have a fucking Dulux tinting machine in the shed. I'm working with what I have here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he seems to think I have 12 different pigments in the shed that can mix up everything. <laughs> what a... Because obviously a lot, a lot of people are looking at this as, geez, like, get a bit of the DIY done now mm. and then if I take time off later in the year I won't have to worry about painting that box room or, or whatever 100%, what, yeah. what would your three golden tips for DIY be? Well for coming into this time of year you should be bringing your garden inside your home <laughs> so decorate it with muted stony toby colours you're basically giving your house another room but there's no ceiling <laughs> That's lovely. That's uh, that's the kind of stuff Bannon should be doing, Gary. Like Bannon, you know. That Jesus, that oh, Jesus Paul, Paul, you've done it now. You've, 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 met, you've mentioned the war. Yeah. <laughs> fucking more nonsense out of him last week with this fucking uh, bat out out his fucking garden. But you see what he does is he gives that to people. He will tell people, ring up and say, "I didn't apply for planning to put this." Gives him more publicity. Absolute nonsense. Do you yeah. honestly think that that bat is in his garden now? Because I can tell you it isn't. <laughs> Absolutely not. Gary, Don't start in, me on him, please. No, I'll, but please I'll, just, I'll just ask one thing, Gardo, because in the past, whenever his name is being mentioned, we've moved away very quickly for, <laughs> you know, for legal reasons and also for your, for your own mental health. But just, we always get questions on it. And would you mind enlightening some of the people who, who aren't aware of the history with you and Mr. Bannon okay so long story short I sold uh, high end paint and wallpaper for many years uh, very successfully had a great time doing it 2008 recession bank gone arse fell over fine we move on but Bannon oh, he would come in and burn your brain for three or four hours you would be basically giving him all your time, all your ideas. Your brain would be fucking thrown out everything to him. Then he's bringing his fucking clients in the next day. Oh, well, I was looking at this and I was thinking this, that and the other. And you're kind of saying, you're fucking stood here for three or four hours. Pulling my fucking brain is under. And now you're in. This, this stuff is kind of going on. And then I knew people who had had issues with him with work that they've had done. Mark see more than one person, but he's just, he's very sly, he's sneaky, uh, he cuts corners, and, uh, you know, Vodafone ads and all this, absolute nonsense. Uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't trust him, put it that way. I wouldn't trust him. Okay. And I think that that, that avoids any legal issues. Gerald Keane won't be telling us to cut that out, right? and you're happy you can stand over that. Well, Gerald, he's he's dying for work because nobody trusts him either. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald will take anything on at the moment. Gerald won't represent you, Gary. Yeah, he was my solicitor when I was buying the house. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Is he, he's no longer your your advocate or solicitor, is he? Well, I haven't had to use him, but I, I will go back to him if need be. I will say this: retainer or anything, Gary? No. No, no, Paul. But he, he look very nice fella to deal with. 
Yeah. Um, he's actually, I tell you what, when we went into his, his office, uh, like obviously all the staff really <clears throat> pander to him, you know, like it's where it was uh, John Bon Jovi walking around the fucking place. But I, I had a similar experience. Gemma broke her, her foot in January and uh, we were up in Vincent's. She was going up there for all her stuff and they're like that with Professor Flavin, all the staff. So we were, the first meeting we were going in and uh, this fella comes over and he was like, we are very lucky. Uh, you're going to be dealing with Dr. Flavin. He's outstanding. He's actually here now. He's physically here. Like, okay. He's a, he's a doctor. Like, cool, the Jets. And then Flavin walks in. Like, all he was sure to do was swinging his mickey around the fucking the room. Like, uh, lovely. Now, Jesus, lovely fella. But yeah. like, they, they're treated like rock stars. Yeah. They like some of their experience with Mary Byrne. Do you remember Mary Byrne of X Factor fame? Yeah. 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 I was on uh, I was on the uh, the afternoon show in, T- in TV3 with, with Mary Byrne one afternoon, you know? Glamour, you know, the glamour gigs, like, you know? And, uh, <laughs> like, like she's like she's clearly uh, learns television from being on the X Factor, right? Where you know, so like between shots, Simon Cowell is saying, "Yeah, could you get me a bit more this way or that way?" And all this kind, of, and she was kind of doing a bit of that, like on TV three, like you know, really? yeah. And so like they're cooking something in the kitchen, you know, and and like she's like she just knew the right angle, she knew where to stand. She said during the ad break, "Don't forget to ask me that again when we come back from the break. I haven't mentioned the show I'm doing enough." Uh, and all this kind of thing, you know. So anyway, I had this. I, I was. They rang me from TV3 beforehand. The researcher rang me and said, uh, "We think it'd be funny if have you ever mentioned Mary Byrne in any of the Ross books?" <clears throat> and I said, "I don't know. I think something tells me I have." So I'll I'll go. I'll do a search on my computer, like you know, uh, you know the little um, hourglass. Well, no, not a magnifying glass. Do you ever yeah. use that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You can find that on your computer. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, so so I type Mary Byrne into the little box, and it comes up, and she's mentioned in one of the books. Like I think it was like seven books ago or something. And I said, "What's this reference?" And it was uh, I described a girl as having a face like Mary Byrne's knee, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so the the researchers said, uh, I don't think we can, I don't think we can bring that up on the show. And I said, well, I don't, I really don't think you should, like, you know. So <laughs> it made me paranoid that maybe she'd seen it, right? That maybe she, she, I don't know, like, I was kind of, you know, because she's kind of back on the, she's back here now, you know. I was thinking, maybe, shit, maybe somebody told her about that. And uh, we're sitting in the green room beforehand and we're having a chat and she said, oh, I, you know, we're catching up, you know. And uh, so she said to me, yeah. Uh, yeah, so what do you do? So I said, I write these books. Oh, yeah, no, I have. I've definitely heard you. I've definitely heard you, yeah. And then she turned around, right, and she said to the cameraman, don't get my knees on camera. I have terrible knees. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. No <laughs> way. <laughs> and she, she left me with that mystery, like, does she know? Jesus. Just say, like, I can hear Mary Byrne, I just think, I wonder, does she know? Mary, face like Mary Burns' knee. Was she nice apart from that part? Like, was she okay? Like, ah, she's great. Yeah, she's very nice. Like, you know, she's very, very ordinary person. Like, you know, but she was just, she like, she was really camera savvy. 
Like she, she just moved through TV three. Like she kind of knew what every bit of equipment did, what every light did, what every what how that camera over there was seeing her, how that one was seeing her. Like, and I'm a, I'm like an idiot, like looking around, looking into the camera that I shouldn't be looking into, all that kind of thing. Like you know, but um, but that's daytime telly for you. She uh, she supported Neil Diamond in uh, the new Lansdowne Road there a couple of years ago, and uh, it was. I'm trying to be nice about this. Utter shite. Ah, <laughs> and what was Neil Diamond like, more importantly? Oh, amazing. Ah, yeah. yeah. And Neil's amazing. Yeah, he, he was great. Like, you know. But, uh, yeah, she just... I don't know. Maybe it was... The whole thing was like a you know big outdoor stadium or whatever. And uh, it was a half-empty stadium. <laughs> There's Mark. How are you, Mark? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're recording here, Mark. You can't hear you with the headphones in. What's he wearing? How <laughs> 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 are you, Mark? He attacked me on he attacked me on WhatsApp the other week, and I told him he dresses like an aggressive lesbian. If <laughs> <laughs> you get a lend of one of your dresses, car would be great. How is all coping with down going for you, Mark? Ah, that's good in the hood. From a reclusive, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you uh, still happy with Solskjaer? Oh, yeah. He's going to bring it back. Glory does. Well, they haven't lost for a few weeks. <laughs> you know? So you're looking forward to the 18 and a quarter title, eh? <laughs> that's what we forever now. We all have to pretend we don't care what happens to the Premier League now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice boys. Talk to you soon. Take care, See you, Mark. Mark. Where were you, Danny? Sorry for that rude interruption. I've, I've no idea. It's quite all right. But Mark said something there that actually I wanted to talk to Gary about. Gary, you recently done a, a lip sync battle. I did, yeah. Um, yeah, the fo- we. The footage was sensational. And so someone yeah, asked, so... Keith asks. Has Gary finally got out of his lip sync outfit? I have it actually. I'd be getting it back on for something, but I won't be revealing what. But Keith, oh. uh, <laughs> Keith, uh, Keith came down on the night. But no, we done a lip. I got involved in a lip lip sync battle. It was to raise money for Arklow United, and me and three of the lads done Moulin Rouge, the uh, Christine Aguilera version. Uh, I, I don't think anyone realised like. Mero, you were there on the night. I don't think anyone knew it would be a full-on show, as in stage, lights, screens, presenters, judges, all that. But uh, we we made it to the final, and we didn't think we could win it because the guy who we were competing against was absolutely outstanding. And he does performance and stuff. He does plays and, and stuff. But we gave it socks uh, in the final. And I'll never forget the feel, like when we finished the song, the crowd went fucking apeshit. Like the whole room stood up and, uh, and, and yeah, we, we went on and we won it. Uh, so it was a brilliant Fantastic. Oh, well it, was, it was, uh, I haven't won anything in fucking years. I won a voucher for Hicks and Dunleary about eight years ago. That's a, that's a great prize, Gar. Great prize, yeah. But no, yeah, we won it. Great voucher, Gary. Pardon? Was that was the Hicks voucher? Was that a raffle, or was did you have to 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 perform for it or anything? Or 
it was a raffle, yeah. Uh, I bought a ticket, I can't remember where, and I got a, a, a Hicks voucher for 50 quid in the post. I tell you, 50 quid to buy a lot of white pudding. Oh, yeah. That's oh, a, yeah. I wouldn't buy anything else off them. Because <laughs> the black pudding is honking. Um, <laughs> it's what? Honking? Honking. What are the rashers and sausages? I would, there's sausages down there are gone to shite. So where would you Hicks get was after? always the most famous sausages, wasn't it? In Dunleary, like it was yeah. everywhere. You must go near them now. They're very, very grey in colour. A good sausage should be pink to light pink. Mm. Yeah, and and springy to the touch. I think after you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, do you take as much pride into your uh, food presentation than Eric Gary? Uh, no, like I mean, like if I. If I had a, sp- a, a spillage on the plate or something, I'd wipe it like, you know, like it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be resp- restaurant quality. But I would take enough pride in it that if I was putting the beans on and I spilled bean juice on the side of the plate where the egg was going, I definitely mopped that up. You know, I'm not like I'm not an animal, like I'm not a farmer or anything like, you know, I don't. I, <laughs> I'd make sure I would. I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, my professional pride wouldn't allow me to to present that, but. But mostly I'm just, you know, Mary, Mary's very good cook, like, you know, so, you know, and I, I you know, I like Gary, I'm, I'd be a feminist, like, you know, so <clears throat> I'm all about uh, equality and everything, you know, but cooking is just, I'm, I'm the second best cook in the house. So there's never any great call, like, so, uh, you know, I can do about seven things well, and Mary only only likes one of them. Like, she doesn't like six of them because I kind of did them to death, like, you know? What were they? Well, I, I do this uh, chicken it's and philo. thing, though, isn't it? That a lot of stuff involves phyllo pastry, like, you know? And phyllo pastry, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Some people like it, but I kind of... I just, I just presented phyllo pastry every day, like, you know, for about a month. And I was cut, put everything. The TV remote was in Philo Pastry one day. Just put everything in it. And uh, so I sort of did that to death, you know. And then I got into a bit of a tarragon uh, uh, craze. So I was putting tarragon in everything. Totally ruined that. Like Mary won't even like Mar- Mary can smell tarragon from the bottom of the road now. Like you know she. So if she smelled tarragon. She just wouldn't come to the house. Uh, so I do a few things, but <clears throat> like I can make I can make good chips. And that's the basis of any good meal. Let's be honest, you know. Uh, and and that's uh, and that's it. Ah, oh, oh yeah, I make grits. Uh, do, do you ever have grits? What? Cheese. It's, grits. it's a real American thing. It's an it? American thing. It's a sort of deep south thing. <clears throat> and I was in America, and I had it <clears throat> in a restaurant, and I just loved it. And uh, so it's kind of like um, risotto or something like that. Like you know, it's kind of but it's, but it's nice. So I do I, I do it with cheese in it for breakfast. Bit of, uh, scallions, uh, some bacon lardon, lardon, uh, Miss Foley's French there coming in, <laughs> lardon, les lardon, uh, and then a bit of cheese and and a bit of cayenne pepper, mix that in, oh, yeah. and, uh, and then put maybe two fried eggs on top of that. Oh, wow, that's a breakfast, you know. Yeah, yeah. again, Mary won't touch it, but I do that for myself, like you know. Uh, there, there are very few dishes. That can't be improved by sticking a fried egg on top. 
Yeah. Mm. See, I got into this thing last year. You know, Colin Harmon, who I follow on um, on on Twitter, he runs that 3FE. Yeah. Shop, 3FE. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fucking Euro. Uh, he he has recommended this thing to me. Your Christmas pudding. Fry it, right? Have you tried this, Gary? Like, you get a slab I've of heard Christmas it. pudding. You fry it in oil on the pan, both sides, fried egg on top of it. Boom. What? Mm. Yes. Christmas pudding? Yeah. That you have custard with? Yeah, but you wouldn't have custard on the egg. No, Graham, come on now. Don't be, come on. So, how, instead, so you're frying, you're taking a slice of Christmas pudding, you're frying it, and then you're putting a fried egg on top of it? Yeah. That's a sweet though. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know the way you go to McDonald's and you eat a beef burger with a, an ice cream milkshake. Yeah, you yeah. Twice about that, you know. The other thing I but just talking about Christmas, I got me 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 famous Christmas sprouts recipe as well. You know, which is uh, which kind of they they go mad in this house if I don't do the sprouts at Christmas. You know, so I just you you but you you parboil them uh, in salt, uh, then you put them in the pan with a bit of butter. Uh, the bacon lardon again, les lardon, <laughs> bacon, uh, pecans, uh, loads of, then a bit more butter, and you fry them up, and then you put them on the plate, and you pick the sprouts out and fuck them in the bin. <laughs> See, the bacon. <laughs> bacon, butter, and the bacon. And you know, they love that in this house, like, you know, every year, where's your sprouts, where's your sprouts, you know? And the great thing about them is it's very handy because you're putting the sprouts in the bin for them. It saves them having to scrape them off the plate themselves into the bin afterwards. So that, That's a know. recipe I could, uh, I might write that down afterwards, Paul, to go yeah, I'll give it to you. I'll put, I'll put it up on the website, you know? It's a twist on Nigella's uh, Christmas sprouts because she keep, she leaves them in madly, you know? Yeah, madly, yeah. yeah. I, would, yeah. I wouldn't trust her. wouldn't trust her now. What about you, Gary? Not trusting Nigella, but in terms of your uh, your cooking. Uh, well, uh, I I was in a restaurant in Liverpool years ago. It was called Heathcoats. Uh, he he was a chef, I think. Uh, but I had a starter, and it was uh, black pudding on a pancake with uh, with a fried egg, and there was lime squeezed on top of it, and it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, the rest of the meal was shocking, but I, I, uh, I asked the waitress, "Could I meet the chef?" And I just shook his hand. I said, "Listen, the starter was fantastic. Well done." And, and what about your have, own cooking? Have you tried to replicate? Sorry, I was going to say, have you tried to replicate that, uh, Gary? Since yourself? Yeah, I haven't. I probably will during lockdown because uh, I'm feeling very creative in a food sense. But uh, like. A good black pudding is, is hard to find, you know. How are you feeling very creative in the kitchen? What do you mean? Well, I've, I mean, we, we closed up on uh, the Monday after Cheltenham and, I, and I've been off since. So, and I've cooked every day, I think, bar one day. So, I mean, I done a, I done a, a, a dish last Saturday. It was a, a, so you get a pound of uh, lean steak mince and you flatten it out. And you coat it with chili, garlic, smoked paprika, chili powder, salt, pepper, some fresh chilies, bit of onion, and you just keep rolling the fucker and rolling it and rolling it. Then shape it out into a nice sausage into the air fryer for half an hour. And then you cut it off when it's cooked, put it into a bit of pita bread or a wrap. 
Oh, fucking it. unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, that and great. they were still talking about it in the house here this morning. <laughs> Jeez. We've uh, you, you, that you, subject smoked paprika. We we were clear we cleared out a lot of cupboards and presses in the house, like, you know, just to stop yourself going mad. We've three uh Schwartz jars of smoked paprika. And like nobody remembers buying them and like Mary didn't buy them, I didn't buy them. So they must have been here when we moved in. Uh, <laughs> but if you want one, like I leave it on your doorstep, like, you know? and I'll use the gloves you and put it there. If you're like, if you're into, if you're in the market for some smoked paprika, it's yours. They don't. Those uh, just expiry dates and all those powders, but they they never go off. Never no, go with it. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't know now. I don't know. I, I remember before I moved down here and helped me ma clear out some of the house because with me clearing out space, she said, "Sure, I might as well clear out a few bits." Like that, the cupboards in the kitchen were getting just everything thrown out. We found onion salt for 2007. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, it was a good vintage. It was a, it was I'd, fun, I'd you know? use that. Do you reckon that would have been... We, we just went straight to the bin with it now, Gar, but maybe we missed a trick. Do you know, that reminds me of something. There used to be, in, in, in the paint shop in Dundrum years ago, there used to be this poor old chap and he'd come into us and uh, he'd rummage through the kitchen if he could, like there be could be cheese in the fridge, or there'd be fucking mould all over it, or there, there could be, there was anyway, there was uh, two slices of bread left in a packet of bread and there was mould all over it. And he says, uh, do you think there's mould on that? And I said, no, it's mint. Brennan's are doing a new mint bread. <laughs> and he goes, oh, fucking perfect. And he fucking lashed into it. <laughs> oh, no way. I was cleaning oh. out my office drawers as well, right? And I found, uh, I was talking about this on Twitter. I found the old electronic uh, orga- organizer from, and I, so you're so far too young to remember these, right? But before there was the internet, uh, we used to just have an address book where you wrote everything down by hand. And then these bad boys came out, right? It's like a calculator, except you can store uh, all your address. I found this in my drawer, you know. The amazing, the big surprise was, I haven't turned this on since 1996. The fucking battery still works, like, you know. No way. It's unbelievable, right? So of all my addresses of people I knew in the 90s in this, you know, and uh, I was going through it, and I realized there's about a third of them don't talk to me anymore, right? (laughs) So it's like doing... It's amazing. It's like doing an archaeology of your past, right? And I'm kind of going through all these names going, well, yeah, he doesn't talk to me anymore. She doesn't talk to me anymore. So I've had this idea during lockdown. I'm going to try and talk to everybody in this. Now, some of them are dead. That was the other prop. That's some of them don't talk to me because they're dead. Uh, but the ones I fell out with, uh, by the time lockdown is over, I'm going to try and be friends with them again or find out why we fell out. Like, you know, now there's unreal. There's obvious ones like Michelle Smith, like she doesn't talk to me because, uh, <laughs> you, know, well, you know what happened you, there, like, you know. Will you still reach out to Michelle, though? Huh? Will you still reach out to her, though, Paul? I might, like, see, there's a, there's a whiff of the Armageddon off this whole thing, like, you know, and, like, if, if we're still locked up in about six weeks, I might panic and start trying to make me peace with all these people. Like, there's... Some of them are funny. There's a girl I was friends with, like, you know, when we were ah, back in the 90s, like, we were just mates, like, you know, and she was from Bray, and she fell in with a bad crowd, like, 
And when I say a bad crowd, I mean uh, Irish speakers. You know that? (laughs) (laughs) She was in college and she met all these people from from Spiddle and places like that, like, you know, and she she totally changed. Like she'd be like you'd meet her. Like we'd be out in the pub or you'd be, <clears throat> I used to go to her parties with our friends, you know, and they were the kind of parties where the girls would just like take their shoes off and start singing. Like, you know, so they'd just be bursting into song and her party piece became, you know, that Mary Black song, come running home again, Katie, come running <laughs> home. Right. <clears throat> and that's fine. If that's your bag, like, you know, I, I don't mind Mary Black, you know, I would turn it off. If it was on in the house or at, you know, but she kind of got, she developed this kind of Galway Mary Black kind of accent as well. You know, it's kind of pissing me off a bit. Anyway, <laughs> we went to this party. I was meeting some of my mates in town, you know, and I was trying to tell her, you know, as subtly as I could, like, don't like, don't be fucking singing Mary Black at this party. It's not that kind of party. Right. And you're not you don't even need to be told that. I think when you arrive at a party, five minutes is enough to see the vibe. Right. These were mates of mine from town and you know anyway we're at the party and i swear to god we're there about an hour and i i just hear out of the next room come running home <laughs> singing this fucking song right anyway apparently i went she <laughs> you know when you're drunk and it was it wasn't as quiet as i thought it was right you know my voice was probably a bit louder than i thought it was and i just went she heard from the next room Ah, for fuck's sake! <laughs> <laughs> I never saw her again. Never, I never ever saw her again. Right? Really? And she, uh, she, you brought her to the party, and you never saw her again. Yeah. Right. Oh, well. But here's the thing, Mero. Here's the thing, right? She had the cheek to. She rang me the next day to give out to me. Right? <laughs> Can you believe that? She <laughs> rang me, and she says, um, "Oh, I can't believe you." I can't believe you did that at the party. And I went, what? And she said, I heard you shout fuck's sake from the other room. And I said, what the <laughs> fuck do you mean coming to my party and singing that stupid fucking song like, you know? And, uh, and then we never spoke again, like, you know? I think she moved to Spiddle. I think she moved, like, she was kind of, she just, I remember being out in the lash with her one night and uh, during this period, like, and the, the general election results were coming in. She was had the earphones in listening to the general election results coming in i don't know like you know some, some people change and uh anyway so i might might reach out to her you know what would you say uh would you write her a letter or try and ring her i ring her i have shoved i've a number here like you know it's all <laughs> in her pocket organized casio <laughs> uh the casio m3a cal uh a pocket organizer it's all in there now i'd have to add the two onto the front of our number i presume because <laughs> says it was all six digit numbers but you know uh i'll reach out and and i just kind of think you know if you're feeling this thing now with the apocalypse like you know you don't have any regrets like you don't want to be saying gosh you're wrong or like now we might end up having a row about the song again you know <laughs> i still i still think she was in the wrong but i'm prepared to let it go it's 27 years ago and I'm prepared to let that slide now. Is Pat Hickey in the book, Pat? In, the, in oh, your he's in there. Yeah, Pat Hickey. Uh, I've Michelle Smith. Uh, I've um, who else here? I mean, it's unbelievable. The battery, like that's incredible. Like that's like I think I've discovered uh, 
the secret of perpetual motion because this is a battery <laughs> that's run. It's probably a watch battery and it's still there. It hasn't leaked. It's still working away. Hang on, let me see. I mean, I've all sorts in here like, you know, yeah, Michelle Smith. Yeah, we fell out. Uh, Pat Hickey. Yeah. Um, what would you say to Pat Hickey, Paul, if you were to try and reconcile? It's kind of hard with Pat, like, because, like, like Pat, Pat was suing me, like, multiple times, like, at the same. Like, I, I think I could have wallpapered my office with the le- solicitor's letters I had from Pat Hickey. Like, you know, there was just hundreds of them. Uh, but yet when I met Pat Hickey, he would be great. Like, he'd go, uh, oh, yeah, how's it going? And, you know, we go for a bit of lunch. And then I, I remember meeting up for dinner in, uh, I was in Athens once. And there was an Olympic uh, thing on, you know, and uh, and Pat Hickey was there, and he said, "Do you want to go for dinner?" And we went for dinner, and we're we're eating, <laughs> we're eating whatever we're eating, like stuffed vine leaves, and we're looking at the Acropolis on this beautiful rooftop restaurant in Athens, and uh, <laughs> and he still carried on doing me. I kind of respected that, like you know, it was just a, you know. Uh, it, yeah, it was. It was like so. So there was. Ne- we never fell out, even though he launched all these actions against me. And like some of the stuff was. What well, I remember, I wrote a story about him once. So it was every time I wrote his name, uh, <clears throat> I, I got a solicitor's letter. So I remember once I wrote an eight hundred word piece uh, about Pat Hickey, and he identified forty seven libels in an eighty seven word, an eight hundred eight hundred word piece. I mean that's miraculous like you know so it's basically every single sentence and not just every sentence he said that the picture his picture was printed darker than david balberni's this guy david balberni was challenging for the leadership of the olympic council of ireland and he said my picture looks darker uh, making me out to be a shadowy figure uh, anyway jesus the Tribune were really scared of this, right? And it wasn't because they thought there was any merit in the argument. The truth was going to come out as to why uh, his picture looked darker. And the truth was that the fellow who made the plates in the printers, you know how plates are made in the printing process, you know, they put the colours on top of each other and they have to register. If they're not an exactly the, the exact same register, it can look blurry or the colour will look off. And the guy who was making the plates in our printers only had one eye. And, that's, <laughs> and every week, every week, the printer was shocking, like, you know. Uh, but that was the only time we ever got uh, you know, a, a solicitor's letter over it. Like, and, and then, Was Vincent in charge then, Paul? No, Vincent was, Vincent was gone then. But Vincent wouldn't have been afraid of solicitor's letters. Like, you know, Vincent would have. Uh, he he just ripped them up. Oh no! When he said he'd get excited, like if one came in, like it would be like he was doing the right thing. You know, Vincent was great. One, t- I remember one time, uh, I was I was very young. I was about nineteen, maybe eighteen, and I was working for Southside, and we were Southside was our. It was owned by the Tribune at the time, and for some reason, Vincent put Southside right outside his office. Right, so I was kind of eighteen. Uh, I, I'd seen Vincent Brown on the telly, like you know, and and I was you know, just a bit in awe of him. So my first desk is right outside his office, you know, and, and you knew don't catch his eye because if he caught his eye, he'd tell you to do something. And it usually involved ringing a politician and putting something to them. Like, you know, this guy beats his wife. I want you to ring him and say, do you beat your wife? Like stuff like that. That was Vincent, like, you know, and, uh, and um, anyway, 
I was doing this story. Somebody wanted to build a, a leisure centre on the pavilion site in Dunleary, where the pavilion theatre is now in those apartments. They were building this massive leisure centre with bowling alleys and all the rest. And anyway, I went around to the architect. There was lots of objections, as there is to everything being built in Dunleary. And I went around to the architect to talk to him about He was going to show me the plans and everything. So I'm chatting to the architect. And the architect said to me, oh, you know, I'm very good friends with Vincent Brown. And we, he just left it there, right? He just left it hang there. And there was a little kind of unspoken thing of, you better write nice things or, you know. So anyway, I go back to the office and I'm sitting there and I look up and the next thing I see the architect walking into the building and he goes into Vincent Brown's office and Vincent closes the door. And then they're, and they're in there for about 20 minutes and then the door opens and the architect looks at me and gives me a smile and walks out. And Vincent Brown came out to me and said, Paul, what's the story? And I said, oh, there's, you know, all these objections about the uh, the um, thing in Dunleary, you know, all the residents are kicking up about it. And I have to cover the story. And he went, put it on the fucking front page. <laughs> 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 and, and that was Vincent, like, you know, the fact that there was, it was almost like a bonus that he could, he could screw over his mate as well, like, you know. And that, I love that about Vincent. Like, it was just, you know, there was no... If you called in a favor, it would make him twice as likely to to screw you over. Like, you know, he didn't do favors for anyone, any of his friends like that, you know, because uh, when I worked for the Dublin Tribune, then we started covering the courts. I never covered the courts myself, but we were covering the local district courts. Everybody was who was getting in trouble was in the Dublin Tribune. And there was a lot of kind of, you know, middle class, well to do people were getting in trouble for drink driving and their cases were in the paper. And, you know, there were kind of politicians and uh, like ordinarily the local courts weren't covered by the Herald or anything like that, you know, so they expect to get away with it, wouldn't be a reporter there. So suddenly they're in the paper. So they'd be ringing Vin people like Vincent and Rory Godson, who was the editor of the Dublin Tribune, saying, you know, do you think you could drop that one, you know? And they would, like Rory Godson would actually, if his friends were in the paper and, they, you know, if they were kind of well-known people and they rang Rory and said, do you think you might be able to drop that? He would take them and put them prominently, like he'd move to the top of the column or move them to the front page and stuff like that. So it's a great place for that kind of thing because there was no, they did, they weren't respecters of reputations or friendships or anything like that, you know. Do you still see Vincent now, uh, Paul? Or? No, I haven't seen him. The last time I saw him was on Dunleary Pier. He was walking a dog with a lampshade on its head. Uh, the dog <laughs> had the lampshade, not, not Vincent. Uh, but I haven't haven't seen him. I, I, I kind of feel a bit awkward about Vincent. Vincent's actually one of the people in the, in me, me, uh, uh, me Casio address book. I might ring like, you know, because I, I, I was doing I was doing some impressions of Vincent on the radio. Uh, about 20 years ago with Navin Man. Do you remember Navin Man on I Today FM? I used to love Navin Man. Yeah. Was it Eamon Dunphy, wasn't it? Yeah, on the Eamon Dunphy show. Yeah. And Stuart, uh, Carolyn, who, who wrote uh, Love Hate, he was Navin Man and he used to write these sketches oh. and he said to me, uh, we want some, we heard you do a Vincent Brown impression and he said, we want this character called Vincenzo and he's a lady's hairdresser and it's, it's, so we want you to play him. So I said, oh, look, you know, I used to work for Vince and I really like him. And he said, oh, look, no one will know it's you. 
<clears throat> so I went on, and of course, the following on the Sunday Times that weekend ran it in one of their little snippet columns. That was me doing the doing the impression, and I felt really bad about it. And I did it for a few months, and <laughs> I, I I still I'm still raging at myself for doing it, like you know, because it was kind of it was a bit disrespectful. And I liked Vincent, and I know I know he was annoyed by it. Like I think it hurt him. Like and uh, so so. I, I might, I might go get call him up on the Casio. He might be, he might be me first. Just ring him there, Paul, for the crack. He might not answer, you see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he might. I'd say he's probably changed his, uh, he's probably changed his number. Yeah, Paul. Oh, there was a, there was a question that came in. Uh, it says that me and Danny are for, forever giving Paul stick about his sheepskin jacket. Yeah, we're hit, we're hitting weather, the nice weather now. Does he have any summer gems? Hashtag shorts, shorts. Not, no, no, I don't. I don't have short shorts or anything like that. I have. Um, I have actually got a pair of shorts uh, here because I knew this question was coming, so I, I brought these down. Mary said, "Is it? You know, is, it, is are people going to see it?" And I said, "I think so." So I'm kind of disappointed that they're not right. But these are a pair of shorts. Uh, that hang on, I'll just hold them up. Uh, Arrows. <laughs> Yeah, they're prison shorts, right? <laughs> There's arrows on them. They're kind of baggy. Uh, I bought them on a visit to Melbourne jail in 1997, and uh, which is where Ned Kelly was hanged, you know? So I went to see where Ned Kelly... And I bought them as a kind of souvenir of me visit to, to Melbourne jail. And every time we're going to a barbecue, I, I chance my arm and put them on, right? And, no way. Yeah, yeah. And I nearly wore them to the last jumpers for goalposts. Uh, match as well and I was stopped I got very it's the closest I've ever got to the door uh, wearing them and Mary caught me going out the door and said no 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 Paul Paul, did you say you're a hoarder ah Jesus yeah 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 I've everything like like I was I was I was on my hands and knees in the eaves today because I'm missing the football I was looking for me Diego Maradona flick book Uh, I have this (laughs) It's a flick. You know what I mean by a flick book, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. flick the pages and you see him score the goal against England. Like, that's how much I'm missing. Oh, the book. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I have everything, like, you know, if I bought the Diego Maradona wine there that I bought on a trip to Buenos Aires in 2005, you know, I, I keep everything. I throw nothing away. I'm very sentimental. I get attached to stuff, you know. And you get this, that price. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. About half of what I paid for it, it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so the fellow in the shop who told me that will only go up in value uh was was lying to me now i had it in, under the sink with all the cleaning uh the scouring pads and all that kind of thing so it wasn't you know it, it wasn't stored particularly well but i do have a pair you talk about summer stuff i have a lovely pair of um uh off-white leather shoes uh <laughs> with what, what i would call light gray suede accenting on them you're playing, like Gary. you're playing they're fast gorgeous. and loose. You're playing like, fast and loose with the word "lovely" there, Paul. No, they, they, like I don't think I can do them justice with words. Like you know, I'll put a picture. I'll send you a picture, and you can put it up. They're lovely. Like the only drawback is I look like a pimp when I wear them, you know, and uh, or, or a coke dealer or something. You know, everybody just sort of presumes uh, that I can that I can source them good cocaine. So I've only worn them twice, uh, but they're they're. What, what what Mary would call a statement shoe, right? 
Mm. Those of you who are au fait with the world of fashion would know about a statement shoe. A statement shoe means that when you wear them once, everybody notices them, right? They become a conversation piece. Now, the conversation in this case was, look at the fucking stadium man's shoes, right? But they're still being talked about like the coat. But it means that you can't wear them every week because people go, oh, Jesus, here he is with the shoes again. So you have to kind of space them out, like, you know. So I got I got a bit of wear out of them a few years ago for weddings. And, um, <laughs> and, and but I haven't been to a wedding in a few years. But I'd say the, the next, I'm at that stage now where a lot of my friends will be getting divorced. So I said, well, we'd be going to second weddings <laughs> uh, over the next, you know, the midlife crisis weddings, you know, the sm- much smaller affairs, like, and nobody's promising they're going to love each other forever. I'm going into that. That's the next uh, step in my sort of social social diary. I think those kind would of. You, would you would you have the same? Because you, uh, you have a lot of sports memorabilia type stuff there, by the sounds, or at least a lot of Maradona stuff. Would you be the same towards music artifacts, Paul? Like I don't have anything of value. Like mm. you know, I wouldn't have like Ringo Starr's drums or you know George Harrison's plectrum or something like that. Like, but like I just have. Uh, like I'd have a uh, magical mystery tour uh, on 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 video on VHS. Right. Like I don't have a video recorder. Like I've about 150 VHS cassettes in the eaves. Like and, I Mary kills you, does she? When you're in a shop, when you're away or anything like that. Ah, uh, yeah. Like I, I buy so much rubbish. Like you know, just just rubbish, just absolute rubbish. I know it's rubbish as I'm paying for it. Like you know. Like I'm, I'm paying for the thing and I'm thinking, this is just rubbish. Like, why do I need this? I don't need this, but it's tat and it's it's a kind of sentimental attachment to something. Uh, I just need to grow up. But the videos, they're in the eaves, right? And there's, a hundred, there's about 150 of them. And instead of just throwing them in the bin, right? Because these are all available on Netflix. Most of these movies are sports programs. I'm getting them all put onto, uh, onto, onto DVDs. So I'm taking them from uh, one medium that's become <laughs> obsolete and putting them onto another medium that's about to become obsolete, right? So, and and they're 17 quid a time. It's 17 quid to put one of these things up. So I'm doing things like, you know, magical mysteries to over, like, you know, uh, like films I never there. watch again, oh. beaches. For 17 quid ago, you could probably just buy the DVD on Amazon. Bezos yeah. probably has it up there for a fiver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah Gary, gotta... Gary, do you collect memorabilia or anything, or do you hoard? Um, <clears throat> no, because I discovered in my early 20s that clutter unsettles me. Uh, I don't perform as good. Uh, but I... No, I, I, I have a little section in the wardrobe where I stuffed that I kept. Like, I have a little photo book of when I was brought over to Manchester. Uh, for the first time in 92 pictures with Ferguson and Brian Robson in there I've always kept that I have a I have a poster of a, a, a picture that was done to me in Lanzarote in 2005 um, I have a pair of boxers from the 94 World Cup that's about it really and what's, what's it, what, like have you bought anything recently that you adore mm. uh, my air fryer that's <laughs> well, not not quite in the memorabilia category, but let's hear about <laughs> oh, yeah. it. Memorabilia. Tell us more, tell us more about your air fryer. Go on. It's just fucking brilliant. Like it's it's great design. There was there was a product brought out years ago called called the Brushmate, 
and it was basically a, a, a metal box. And what you would do is there, there was a chemical in the bottom of it on, on, a, on a sheet of paper and it keeps your paintbrush, your oil-based paintbrush wet. So if you were using black gloss, you didn't have to clean your brush. You put it in the brush mate and it keeps it wet. You've got about 15 brushes into it. Brilliant design. Great idea. And then they go along and bring out the brush mate four, which was a smaller one. But it, the chemical didn't have enough room to evaporate. And it was just shit. It was, it was bad design. So I'm very conscious of good design and bad design. Mm-hmm. So I know good design when I see it and I know bad design. And when I seen the latest air fryers, I just fucking knew this is going to work. <laughs> and I stand over that still. I'll, I'll bring that ethos with me going forward. We, we had one of the early ones, uh, Gary, and I swore by it. It was the one where you uh, there was a li- you got a little scooper with it. Now you put anything in there, you know, you just throw like potatoes or something. But they make chips. One scoop of, of oil, sunflower oil, in it goes. Uh, you turn it on, uh, and it made chips. And they were good chips. Like they weren't. Mm. Um, they were. They were. They weren't. They didn't feel like diet chips or anything. One scoop of mm. oil, amazing. But we left ours too close to the uh, to the gas oven. And the flames melted it at the side, and we didn't notice for ages. Uh, and then uh, it went on fire one night with the with the scoop of oil in it, you know. So we had a we had a fire in the kitchen. But just storage, I, it, it it might not say it in the manual. Like storage is 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 key to to mm. air fryer. Like you know, uh, if you're an idiot like me, uh, you, you you'll keep it very very close to the to the oven to the gas oven, you know. And I did the same something very similar with a printer. Uh, a few years ago, I, I bought. I went to the Argos and Arclo, and I bought this printer. And there was the, the kitchen was so messy; there was nowhere to put the thing down. So I put it on the hob and rested it on the hob. But then I accidentally hit off uh, the, the 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 knob. Um, if you're allowed to use bad language on the show, and, uh, <laughs> you hit off the flute. So, so the 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 hob turned on. And it was cooking. It was cooking the printer. I didn't. I didn't realize this, you know. And I went over. It, it was warming up. That was the gas thing. I had to plug the printer in. It has to warm up, you know, before it'll print. And I went over and put my hand on it. Jesus, it was it was roasting to the touch. And I said, Jesus, it shouldn't be that hot. And then I noticed that it was it was basically cooking to the hob. And I picked it up, and all these strings came. It was like spaghetti. All the plastic was melted, you know. So I took it back to. Um, I took it back to Argos and Arclo, but they said I'd invalidated the warranty by. What, what, what made you bring it back to Argos? Well, like, what? Where did you think you you could get it back around? I don't know. I I I, I just thought I might. Sometimes you just get the right person, you know, who kind of go. You just say <laughs> it was like that when I took it out of the box, you know. But, <laughs> which to be fair, like you know, in Dunleary they might take it back, but in Arclo they're sharp as attacking them. Um, Sharp as attacking Argus and Arclo like that because they're looking out for for people chancing their arms, you know. To, to be fair, we're we're living in a world where the likes of Ford and Chevrolet and them lads are being sued for millions because fellas thought they could put the cruise control on and get into the back of the car and have a nap while the car just went along. The car would crash, and you know they sued them for millions, being like, "Well, never said anything about had to stay steer driving the car." 
Well, maybe I'll no. get Gerald Keane on the case and we, we'll... Well... Uh, <laughs> there'll be a big court case. Paul Howard versus Argus and Arklow. Yeah. And Hewlett Packard. <laughs> Gary, Gary, can you cook anything in the air fryer? Um, well, I wouldn't say... Like, I put a I put a large chicken into it yesterday. And it cooked. Fine. Dead, was it? Uh, Gary, I, I put it in Diddy's down so the, the breast was on the floor of it um, and then I I I, I, I cut, lads I cooked in an hour and it, it really cooked well uh, I've I've put cocktail sausages into it I've put um, I, I baked uh, a, a loaf of bread in it, it it's unbelievable yeah like well not it wasn't big like but I, I, I done like brown wholemeal bread yeah Pretty gorgeous. Yeah. Um, Gary, do you use the spray, the spray oil? Just the tiniest drop, Paul. Just yeah. the tiniest. Think of your, think of it as literally. Um, did you, do you ever use the La Roche Posay uh, pre face moisturizer water? I do. I do. Yeah. You just, just the lightest drop onto your face. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's part of my skincare regime. I was walking through a department store in America once, and this guy came up to me. He said to me, excuse me, sir, can I ask you about your skincare regime? And I thought it was a very heavy way to describe washing your face, like, you know, a, a, a regime. So I, I started to tell him I didn't have a regime. Uh, like, I would kind of consider regime. I would associate that with taking over a country, like, and, and uh, imposing unpopular laws on people. The revolution you know? to not, not be do you? Not washing my face. Um, we had a great thing, Gary. Uh, I haven't seen it uh, in a long time. Uh, when we were kids, we we won a competition. I had this uncle who fixed a competition for us to win. Uh, <laughs> it was an ice cream maker, right? And it was it was this it was the size of an oil drum. This thing, right? It was massive, and you had to pack it with ice. And right in the middle, of, it wasn't the size of an oil drum. It was about kind of that big, like it was a huge thing. A gelatiera written on the front like you know which apparently means ice cream and some in italian or something like that anyway we, we you had to pack this thing with ice and in the middle of it there was like a little kind of drum that size you know a little sort of gray drum and that was your ice cream so you put your cream and uh vanilla essence and all this sort of stuff in it and then you put it in and it's just water you know and then you pack it with ice and then it goes and it twirled around and after like this thing was using so much electricity, uh, like the lights would be dimming up in Lambe, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we were in Cromlech, like, and the, everyone would be on low power, like, says, Jesus Christ, the lights are very dim. Like, some people would lose power altogether, like, you know? And the street lights wouldn't come on when it was on, for instance. Anyway, after, like, eight to ten hours of this electricity, uh, it produced the equivalent of one block of ice cream. Like, but now it was very expensive. Like, you know, our, our fuel bit, like our electricity bill, like it was through the roof. Like, you know, we nearly, we nearly lost the house over it. But the ice cream <laughs> that you got at the end of it was just, the nicest ice cream I ever tasted. Like we only had it twice. And then my dad took the plug off it to put it on the, uh, the sandwich toaster. But anyway, it was in the bottom of the press for like, Eight years afterwards, and I think my mum might have thrown it out when we were moving or something. But it's probably in your attic now, Paul. What's that? It's probably in your attic now. <laughs> See, I wouldn't <laughs> have let her throw it out. I, if I had been home from school, 
I would have been rugby tackling her as she was going up the garden with it. <laughs> You're liking hot cross buns at the moment, Paul, is it? Ah, uh, no. Now, I was saying to Gary the other day, the hot, the hot cross bun, is, it's a penance of a cake. Like, you know, there's, I, there's nothing nice about it. And, like, I bought a packet a week ago and uh, I've had them what all. Made, what made you buy the packet? Uh, for the same reason I cooked the sprouts at Christmas. It's tradition, you know. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I, I, I ate them all. I, I didn't enjoy them. I didn't enjoy any of them. Like, they, they're they disgusting, like, you know. So I'd have to have a bit of Oxford lunch afterwards to take the taste out of my mouth of the hot cross buns, you know. Hot, hot cross buns are, are the thrush of yeast infections. Yeah, I, I, go, I go along with that. Like, Why, yeah, Gary? They're just fucking irritating and they're always there. Yeah. What? Why? And the cross on them makes you feel guilty as well. They're just fucking... They're just real malty and and I saying like during the week they remind me of fucking Nanny Meckle who was a thundering cow. Uh, she would she was a miserable bitch, but like if she gave you anything, it'd be a hot cross bun, and it'd be like eating fucking shite. Like and she it's where she was giving you a gold bar as well. You know she's one of those bitches. Yeah. She'd hand it to you like she was giving you a fucking blank check. Uh, and she had plenty of money as well I, I hasten to add plenty of money Nanny, uh, I, think the, I think the bit of icing yeah. on a hot cross bone is what lures you in and there's you, no icing on it what are you talking about that's a, that's a the cross isn't icing that'd be that'd be sacrilegious hang on then what the fuck that's am I thinking of that's like a dry that's like a piece of pastry it's a bit of pastry on it like they couldn't have oh, was you couldn't enjoy you like because you'd be licking the cross wouldn't you if you <laughs> I haven't had a hot cross bun since about second class in primary school because you're not missing anything. Well, well, this well, I thought it was tomorrow again, and I, I, I won't won't enjoy one of them. They're a penance of a cake. Like it's like used to be free. They're also like barn brack. You know when you you, like the the equivalent to the Easter equivalent of barn brack, right? And the thing about barn brack is. They have to put anything that you have to put a ring inside or money inside to convince people to eat it uh, should not be eaten. Same with uh, Col Cannon at Halloween. You have to put money in that to get kids to eat the thing. <laughs> or that a ne- bit of Col Cannon, though. Do you remember that Neapolitan ice cream? There was like four different colours on it. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking who the fuck eats Neapolitan ice cream? Danny Michael, is it? She, she wouldn't buy it. Fucking cow. Um, there's probably a whole episode in that bitch if you're ever interested. Is she still with us, Gary? No, she's fucking not, thank God. Um, She'd be looking I, I down now. She's not. She's she's looking up because she's definitely in, in the. Uh, definitely down. She was just a. She, she, I wouldn't even justify using the see next Tuesday word. She was just a horrible person. She really was. Do you know what she done? This is true as God. May the next bus I drive by plaster me into the sky. <laughs> he rung my mother one day and said, I'm going to bring Gary up Kaliney Hill. And she brought me up Kaliney Hill. And she walked around, I'd say, for two hours. So I was around nine. And she'd be telling me stories about banshees and British soldiers who'd had their head chopped off over here stuff about the witch's hat and I was fucking freaking out like and 
this is true as God and you think I'm messing it and I'm not. She said to me, stand there, I'm going over here to go to the toilet and if anyone comes, tell them not to kick me pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> and she walks into the bushes and has a piss. So anyway, she dropped me home and I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. Like I was in hysterics and I was telling I was telling my mother what happened. And she rang around fucking Edda over it. Like. But there was mad stuff over the years. Like, it was just a fucking cow. Um, I, I wish her nothing but the worst, honestly. Uh, um, and by all accounts, uh, Granda Mackle hated her in, in the latter years as well. She, she was a greedy old bitch, you know. They stay, they stay together though like that's a very Irish thing isn't it like to despite hating each other to stay together yeah they, it, so yeah. Much, they wouldn't even give each other the space like you know yeah she was a fucker like she she owned it do you remember the little hut on Kalini Beach yeah the little concrete hut well that's when when she died my father got it just a few legal wranglings there but um, like she give you a twist, like do you remember touchdown bars? Yeah, yeah, fondly. I remember her handing me a touchdown bar one day. It was battered and melted, and I remember saying to her, "Can, can I get another one? This is, uh, you know, in bits." And she just took it off me. No, I just fucking gay. Like if if I walked by her now, I'd fucking bludgeon her into the <laughs> face. She was a horrible woman. Um, <laughs> she stunk a piss. Uh, <laughs> There wasn't but always a bush on the street, like up or up Kleiny Hill. It's no wonder. Yeah. yeah. She, she, anyway, fuck her. We move on. Yeah. She she obviously didn't always have you handy to keep sketch when she needed when she was caught short. You know. So like, where would she get it? Like if that happened now, she'd be arrested. <laughs> and the the granddad Mac like her. No, my information. I never met Granddad Mac, but my information is he didn't like her. I don't think anybody did. <laughs> um. No. Not not for me. Uh, Paul, it was, it was uh, Garrick Brown's second anniversary recently, and yeah. uh, I was it earlier this year. The, the, sorry, Gar. It's two years already, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is indeed. Um, yeah. The last days of Lugga Law was, was yeah. a fucking brilliant, yeah, piece of TV. Yeah. Uh, was how, how was the experience being involved with that? Well, I wasn't I wasn't that involved with it. Like they just came down to the house to interview me about about Gareth, you know. Uh it was uh I was very sad watching it though. Like I so my involvement was they came down, they they were here for an hour and then they went, you know, and I just told all the stories, you know. But it just made me very sad uh seeing the documentary. Um just just because, like, I mean, there was a lot of sadness around Gareth, like, you know, like all of my memories of him are happy, like, you know, but yeah. but I did, I did see him in sad moments. Like he'd ring, he'd ring the house here on a Saturday night, like, and and I knew he'd be ringing, like he'd ring about half ten, like, and I, I knew he'd be ringing just because he'd be lonely, like, you know, he'd be in that house on his own. And that was the thing about, I think I said that in the documentary, like house the parties were the most famous thing about the house he'd have all these you know he'd have bono there and he'd have like liam neeson and you know pierce brosnan and everything in the house but then everyone would go home and and he was on his own and that's that must have made it even more lonely like you know because it was so isolated up there but if the phone ever rang here on a saturday night we'd we'd always just know like it was it was 
Gareth like you know and I said in the documentary the last time I ever spoke to him he rang on a Saturday night and just said uh you know uh hello, um Paul it's Gareth um have you ever smoked opium and I, <laughs> um, no, uh, no I haven't you know ah good because I was sitting here thinking of you in relation to opium and I just wanted to say if you are going to smoke it make sure you do it in China where they know how to prepare it properly and then he just went <laughs> Anyway, tootle pip, and he's gone, you know. Was that the whole conversation, Paul? Yeah? That's the whole conversation. That's the whole conversation. And I never really knew anyone that eccentric, like, you know. He was just, he was, he was just such a brilliantly eccentric, but thoughtful. What I loved about that was, was the fact that he was thinking about opium, and he's just thinking of one of his friends, and he's, God, I wonder if Paul smoked opium. He probably, hasn't. I need to tell him about this. So he's, he smoked it with Jean-Paul Sartre, like, you know, and, so, so he has this colourful life and he just, anyway, the reason I got sad watching the programme was I was looking at the house and I was thinking about all the, all the, the effort he put into the house. Like the, the house was burned down in, I think it was 1955 and Gareth basically dedicated his life to, to putting the house uh, back to its original condition and in the last couple of years of his life, he would like, even though he was skint, like he was putting money in that he didn't really have, you know, and he was doing things like uh, in the cornices uh, on the stairs, he was putting the like the uh, um, coats of arms of the Brown family and then his wife's uh, Indian coat of arms. Uh, and then the Latouche family, who were the original owners of the, of the house, he was putting all these coats of arms in the corners and stuff like that. And he was doing all these improvements. And when he died and then the house was up for sale, when I was watching that documentary, I just kept thinking, somebody could buy that and just rip it all out and just put Ikea furniture in it. And that's what that's why I got sad watching it, because I was kind of thinking, I got sad at the thought that he maybe wasted a lot of his time doing this stuff. Now, Gareth didn't feel like he was wasting it. He felt like he was he was kind of improving the house. But because he didn't have an heir, because he didn't have it to anybody to leave it to, <clears throat> it just seemed, to me, it seemed like a waste of time because he was building this legacy for nobody to enjoy. Um, and like I said, you know, whoever buys it could just fill it with DFS furniture. Like, you know, you you, you just you just don't know. Like you... And so it's just not got staying me... in the family then, no? The house isn't staying with the Guinness family? Uh, no, no. I mean, the, the, there's an Italian count has bought it. Um, and the house is, I think the house was in trust. Uh, so so he didn't actually own it. And Gareth was, Gareth was broke, like, you know. And um, so, we, so I think that decision had been made years ago that they were going to sell the house. And during the last sort of year, two years of his life, they were trying to sell it to the state, you know, on the proviso that he would be allowed to live in it until until he died, you know. But, you know, I said to him at the time, I think he was looking for publicity for this, you know, for the idea of the state taking it over. And I just said, look, I think you're really, I, I, I wouldn't advise you to do it because I think it was for sale for 28 million. And I said, you know, we have a, we have a housing crisis in this country. Like they're telling 10,000 homeless people that, you know, we're not going to build we're not going to build local authority houses for you. How can they, you know, how can they justify spending 28 million on a house that that's not really fit for kind of public use? Like they couldn't use it as a, you know, as a, a as a, a hotel or an artist center because it was it's too small. I mean, it looks big from the outside, but 
a lot of it's just sort of central courtyard. I think there's only six or seven bedrooms in it, you know, and a lot of them don't actually open out onto a corridor. You know, those old style houses, you have to go through a bedroom to get to another yeah. bedroom. And Gareth was telling me once that uh, Mick Jagger stayed in the house one night and he was with Jerry Hall and they were in bed and it was about three or four in the morning. And the fellow who was staying in the next room got up to shoot deer in the middle of the night, right? So he's going out to stalk deer. And when you're stalking deer, you you wear some all black, uh, a balaclava with just your eyes showing. Um, right? So your man had a had a shotgun and he and he had the shotgun cocked and he walked through the room and Jagger and Jerry Hall are in bed and uh, you know the myth the story that Gareth told us they were hard at it like you know and uh, <laughs> Jagger opened his eyes and sees this man walking through the room dressed in black with a balaclava and a shotgun and he shouts it's the IRA it's the IRA <laughs> and, uh, and uh, jumped out of the bed <laughs> And ran, like ran out, ran out of the room, down the stairs, out into the courtyard. Chat, it's the IRA, they're here for me. And uh, so, <laughs> no, that's just one of one of Garrett's stories, you know. The documentary was great; it was really great. But I miss him. I miss him a lot, like you know. And um, I was just so privileged, like, to be his friend for for those ten or eleven years. Like, and it's a lovely thing about Garrett that he never ever considered considered himself too old to make new friends like you know and it's kind of like me with the casio address book here like looking back through somebody i i got rid of some of these friends a long time ago i did it you know at the end of the year you just do a call not 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 but gareth never did and, and he still was making friends you know well into his 70s and making friends across social classes making friends across age groups generations it didn't matter to gareth like you know if, if you know, it, generally, if you amused him in some way, or you went to his house and you weren't boring, you could be his friend. That was. The... Would he ring? Would he ring you late on a Saturday, Paul? Ah, uh, no. Usually about sort of ten. Uh, usually about ten or half ten. He'd never like he wouldn't be on for hours. Like he'd be rolling your eyes around like that. He'd just ring because he taught us something. Like you know, he might have, you know, he might have read a book uh, that he thought you might be interested in, or he might have remembered a funny anecdote about you know uh, some kind of old friend of his like something like that Mick Jagger story he'd tell you that like you know and then he'd just say tootle pip and then he was gone like you know but it was um I think the, the reason I was sad watching the documentary as well was uh, they were talking about that that thing he said on Miriam O'Callaghan's radio show once where he said he wished he'd never been born and I thought it was really you know uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I, I know a lot of it is sort of the drink and, you know, there's a, there, you know, Gareth was certainly had depressive episodes when he was drinking, you know, and um, uh, so I'm sure that, that and the kind of self-pity that comes with that as well. I, I'm sure that was a huge part of it. But it was just really sad to hear him say that because, you know, we brought so much uh, happiness to so many people like, you know, and uh, and did so many great things for for you know, uh, Irish culture, Irish heritage, uh, Irish music, even if it isn't your kind of music, like, you know, he did, he did, he did wonderful things. So he did, he did um, improve people, you know, people's enjoyment, lots of people's enjoyment of life, you know, and, and I, I was just so privileged to be his friend, but to hear him say he wished he'd never been born, it just sort of broke, broke your heart a bit. 
I loved how we got the poets of the time to record their poems. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he got. I mean, he got Sam Beckett to read, like you know, and that was it was amazing thing, like because because this thing had been done in America, you know, the the Smithsonian went around, uh, you know, about a, a century ago, recording like you know Native American musicians because they realized this thing could be lost forever unless this there's this amazing music tradition that actually informs rock and roll like you know it has it rock and roll has its roots in you know uh you know Robert Johnson like you know playing this guitar like when mu- music wasn't particularly sophisticated it's just him and a guitar like you know and and the, the, they, the Smithsonian recorded loads and loads of that kind of stuff, you know, and traveled the country. And he kind of, he did that in Ireland, like all that stuff, you know, all these like blind pipers and uh, itinerant harpists and everything. He was going around the country recording them on a Grundig tape recorder, two, two reels, like not because he thought there was anything that could be done commercially with it, just because he felt that it was it was part of Ireland's tradition and and it should be preserved in some way you know and uh and at the time a lot of irish people around that time were kind of ashamed of that part of irishness you know they kind of felt that that there was something very twee about that kind of music that it, that it you know we it's best to say goodbye to it like you know it was kind of the music of a conquered people almost you know um but it doesn't mean it's not worth preserving. Like, you know, it doesn't mean that we, because it's, it, it like I said, it informs the music of today. You know, when you listen to, you know, horse lips or something like that, you know, when you, when, when you kind of look back through the history of Irish music, everything influences everything else. Everybody takes their cues from the previous generation. And that's why it was worth saving. And um, so it was kind of great foresight, I think, to do that, you know, and probably the last person he expected to do it because he used to go to these kind of flakeholes. I don't know. I don't know what the plural for flakeol is. Flahanakeol. Uh, but they all thought he was a spy. Like you know, he'd be at these flakeholes. There'd be a lot of raw heads at these things. Like you know, and uh, <laughs> and and Gareth would show up with his ponytail and his West Brit accent. You know, go ooh, wonderful music. And Gareth said they, they all thought he was a spy. Like, and, you know, he'd be threat- they'd be threatening to beat him up and everything. And then they just realised now, like, be a bit obvious. He's a bit of an obvious spy, you know, hiding in plain sight. And, oh, it's funny. Um, you, you mentioned earlier on, Paul, that uh, you had the, the kids' book with Gordon Darcy, Gordon's Game. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're working on another children's book. Yeah. Are you able to give us any sort of... Because Gordon's game went down at smash, didn't it? I, I, I had because I haven't announced it yet, but it's it's for Puffin um, in England in the UK. Like it's a, it's a Penguin's children's uh, children's publishing arm, and it was just an idea uh, I had about <laughs> like six years ago or something. Mary actually had the idea first, and and then I added a bit to it, and she added a bit to it, and then and then I I sort of stole the idea from her, like <laughs> she sort of said I can have it. <laughs> and uh, so we have to make sure we, we don't fall out. Uh, but anyway, it was kind of one of those books I just thought was a great idea, but I just couldn't, I just didn't have any time to work on it because I had so many other things going on. Uh, and then I just got a bit of time last year and I started working on it. And then I took it to the publisher and they loved it. And so I'm working on that now, actually. That's kind of, but I, I like, I'm 
like I'm jumping out of the bed in the morning to get down to the desk. Like that's it's it's rare that it happens. Like mostly I I mean I do get up early every morning, but I but I don't enjoy it. Uh but but with this book I just I'm just so excited about it that I'm just rubbing my hands every morning. Where, where are we with Ballybrack Boys? Oh yeah, so uh we're we're at the script stage now. Uh so I've written a pilot. Uh, and I plotted out the the next the other five episodes uh, in the series, you know. So the next thing is, my family aren't happy about being in it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Are they genuinely not happy? No. Yeah, they're genuinely not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I keep playing it for laughs. Like I keep saying, "Oh yeah, now we get Mary. Mary wants because Mary's a solicitor, you know." So I say, uh, "Oh, Mary has something now. She just wants you to sign it. You don't need to read it, like you know." So it's image rights thing, you know. And um, but they're too they're too savvy, like you know. So they are very worried about how they're going to be portrayed, you know, because they I know they know I'll absolutely fucking destroy them, like, you know? and I'll come out really well. And uh, so I keep saying to my dad, uh, PJ Gallagher is going to play you, dad. And he keeps saying, P- but she's he, like, he comes across as a real hothead. And I went, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. But said that you are, P- when I see PJ Gallagher uh, on the Young Offenders, I just go, that's, that's my dad growing up, like, you know, and he loves the Young Offenders, but he doesn't want to come across as PJ Gallagher, but he's going to like, you know, so. Is PJ playing your dad? Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's very early. Like, we haven't talked about casting or anything like that. We're actually at script stage at the moment. So um, so it's kind of, it's too early, like, to say. I'd love, I mean, if it was my choice, I'd say that's who I want. Like, you know, because that was my dad. Like, the, my dad had this. Uh, Put the call in, Meryl. Put the call oh, in. My dad had this kind of, just this outrage. <laughs> get outrage. My dad could get himself worked up about anything. Like, and it only took him about like three like he's exact i'm exactly the same as him right you know like it's not that i'm quick to anger but i can go from completely calm to incredibly angry to calm again in about five seconds like you know uh and and i want and i think pj would be best to play that like you know uh will uh will your tins story feature (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Fucking like you know, um, I met brother Fred at a funeral a few weeks ago. Uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine's dad died, and we were up in Ballybrack Village uh, at the funeral, and uh, I met Fred there, and we were chuckling about it, like you know, because he remembered. Uh, we, <laughs> for, for your listeners who don't know the story we were collecting tins for the, for the Christmas bazaar any, any kind of grocery items like you know soups and stuff like that and going around Ballybrack with me my shopping trolley do you have anything for the St. Lawrence College pr- Christmas bazaar people were kind of putting stuff in and anyway I took it all home what I didn't say actually in the story I read it on Sunday miscellany in the National Concert Hall the other detail I couldn't fit it in was that my ma took the best of the stuff from the trolley before we brought it to school, like before I, there was this, uh, there was this apple pie, apple crumble thing. God, it was lovely. And custard was a little sachet of custard with it as well. Powdered custard. And, uh, we, she made that actually. She made, she made, we said, she said, I love that, you know, uh, we made, so we made that in the kitchen, but while the, she, while she was cooking that, uh, I was, me and Jason Dunn 
were cutting all the labels off the tins and and swapping them around, right? So the tin of beans was the tin of peas. The tin of mixed fruit was was you know pineapple, whatever. Actually, no, we mixed sweet with say and the peas were prunes and the prunes were pea. Like so, if you were putting something in a salad in a fruit salad, like you'd get beans or something like that. I <laughs> came into the kitchen when we were doing it, and she said, um, "What are you doing?" And I explained it to her. Just oh, we're just swapping all the labels. And it could have gone one of two ways. She could have either gone not a chance. But she had a great sense of humor, right? So I could see her looking at this and she's just, I can see her thinking, this is very funny. This is very, this is good comedy, you know? So she just said, I'll go and get you the good glue. And uh, she went and got the Evo stick. The Evo stick was kept, we used to have it in the drawer. Um, but then glue sniffing became huge in, in everywhere, actually, in the early 80s. Like, And uh, Today Tonight did a special documentary about kids as young as eight, I never forget that, kids as young as eight sniffing solvents at the papal cross and, and then the glue disappeared from the from the drawer, you know. Like everything <laughs> when we were kids was a slippery slope to drug addiction. Absolutely everything. Scrapbooking, right? If you if you said I get a scrapbook, I think I'd get a scrapbook, like I could see how that could lead to heroin addiction, right? Just via sniffing the yoo like while I was doing the scrap like doing me scrapbook so the glue was hidden but me ma went and got the glue for that and then we we swapped all the labels around on the tins brought them up to the christmas bazaar totally forgot about it and then after christmas brother fred says you know i hope you had a better christmas than uh, the family from Acker road who uh, went to have beans on toast and ended up with pineapple chunks uh, had a better christmas than the family from glenavon park who went to make a trifle on Stephen's Day and instead of mixed fruit, <laughs> ended up with beans. <laughs> but he was laughing as he said it, like, you know, because I think even he understood that's clever, like, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's it was just clever. It was subversive, like, like my friend who used to go up to the mobile library in Ballybrack and tear the last page out of all the mystery novels. <laughs> It was kind of clever, like, you know. <laughs> Dead. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really hope we get to see Ballybrack Boys on, on the, the small screen because it'll be fucking hilarious. I've no doubt about it. Might be very sad, actually. <clears throat> do, do you think? Because <laughs> <No. laughs> if that story goes in it. Jesus Christ. We were so poor, like, you know, it's like, there's Angela, the scenes in it that would make Angela's ashes look posh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's Easter weekend. Gary, uh, we're we're running out of time, but people always end up with a hape load of chocolate left. What recommendations would you give somebody if they were to make some sort of dessert type dish out of leftover Easter eggs? <clears throat> okay, it's an interesting one. Why would you smack them into Rice Krispie buns, or would you get more creative? Oh Jesus! If you want to, if, if Rice Krispie cakes, just buy cocoa pops and mix it with polyband. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you've a, a load of chocolate left, uh, there's a, a brand of breadcrumbs called Panko breadcrumbs. Put <laughs> them into the air fryer with the chocolate. <laughs> air fryer. Yeah, and uh, it'll create like a like a, a chocolate biscuit cake. All right. Okay. 
series. Honestly, just, yeah. I'm not a big chocolate eater. Like, I probably dip an Easter egg into my tea and, you know, that sort of way. I'm not a big, big chocolate head reader. Really. Do you like more, the sweet, though? You like sweet popcorn, don't you? Love sweet popcorn, yeah. Love sweet popcorn. Yeah. That's fair enough. What flavour is sweet popcorn? Graham, I've had this argument with you fucking hundreds of times. It's sweet popcorn. Not toffee popcorn. Not butterscotch popcorn. Sweet popcorn. It's sweet. All right? Yep. It's, yeah. <laughs> Meryl, tell the lads before we go about, um, please, and don't get angry, tell the lads about your one who you hooked up with during his it's a brilliant story not a hope ah please not a hope not a hope well i promise i'll edit it out right now hang on this is as far as people will hear just tell us i'll edit it out and and i'll pinky promise on that look there no i don't trust you We've been doing yeah, this podcast for five years now. I don't even think it's that funny. Gary it's thinks it's funny. It's funny. It's, it's funny, funny because, because it's... Of that and me. Like, I, think, I, think I wouldn't mind hearing this story. Gary, tell it. You tell it then, Gary. I'll verify at the end of it if it's true or not. But this isn't going on the podcast. Not a hope. What? Look, whether it's on the podcast or not, whatever. So they meet up and It'll cut back in here, Graham. This is the forcing people here. Oh, I, won't, kill. I, won't, I won't leave that in. Don't yeah. edit it out. Fuck them. It's 2020. <laughs> Do the best bits of Christmas. Do a best yeah, yeah. Of 20 yeah, yeah. Bits of Christmas and stick it's it up there. It'll yeah. go in the Christmas special. Oh, jeez. That's made me night now, that has. Um, On that note, lads, thanks for your time. Yeah, lads, it's, 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 been a, it's been great to see people's faces for, you know what I mean, yeah. for viewers. Uh, Likewise. I'm glad I brushed my teeth as well. Like, you know, the best uh, excuse for brushing my teeth and my hair as well. Like, you know. Yeah. This is the first time I've brushed my hair in about two weeks. Mary must be delighted, Paul, is she? Ah, look, I, I look like I'm going out now. <laughs> this is my going out outfit, like, you know. Um, but... Well, even though I'm not going out, but it's great to, to kind of feel like you might possibly go out, you know. Uh, they Gary, haven't had that yet. Deadly. Gary, will you tell our listeners where they can listen to us? Yeah, you can listen on um, any podcast provider, Podcast Republic, iTunes, um, MTV, TV3. Just before we go, lads, there's a, a channel on Sky called Food Network. And at about 11 o'clock every night, there's a show on called Mystery Diners, right? You have to fucking watch it. So basically, it's failing restaurants, and this team go in, and they suss out everything, where the restaurant's going wrong. There's hidden cameras, there's fake staff, fake punters going in. It's absolutely outstanding. You just have to watch it. I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to stay up past my bedtime for that car. Do. Danny, do you want to do with what Gary was supposed to do there? Where do, where can you listen to us? Well, I mean, I think he covered the bases, didn't he? I mean, podcast <laughs> Republic, 
MTV TV3. You can <laughs> you can ask Alexa to play us now as well. I was told. I haven't oh, tried yeah. it myself. That's right. yeah. yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, all those kind of places. We're there. Anything else you'd like to add, Trackman? No, just thanks, lads, and uh, we'll talk Pleasure. again soon. Next week, same time next week, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Gary, you'd love thanks, that Great talking to you. <sighs> There's something really nice about the two lads together. Individually, they're fantastic, but together, do you know what I mean? The two of them just... It's, it's real aff- affection or something. It, it, like, like Gary has this kind of... It's, it's like he has this, like, he admires Paul and looks up to Paul in a way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then Paul has this kind of, there's a devilment in him when Gary's around. Cause Absolutely. He knows, and it just, it's it's lovely to watch. It's you've lovely summed to it up watch. perfectly. I don't know if you've seen on their Twitter pages there recently as well. They've kind of been going back and forth and Paul instigating it all. So I think it is one of these uh, love love I, situations. I think so. I think I think it is. They're, they're a good influence for each other, anyway. You know, a bit of devilment does no harm, and, and and Gary could deal with with a responsible person. Guiding from time to time, from time to time. I love Gary. <laughs> I love Gary. You like my yeah. um, Wolverine? Sort? I was actually every time you turned your head, I wasn't sure if it was the lighting or what was going on. But this is obviously the the, 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 the them. Yeah, I was going to say in in the in the midst of. A COVID crisis, you've decided you're going to play with your facial furniture. Absolutely. Carl Marrow, uh, Genzar gave Carl Marrow a mohawk as well. And have you have you made these public yet, or is this just for... I only did it about an hour ago. Oh, did you? Will you be making them public? No, we'll see. I'll let, I might let them get bushier. Yeah, you do, man. Yeah, because you, you could go full Hugh Jackman there. I think I'm ripped as I'm as ripped as Hugh Jackman anyway. I don't doubt it, and your fingernails could do with a clipping like Wolverine as well. Absolutely, very, very fair to say that. Two or three is in the bag. It is. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I wasn't as. I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm gonna. I'm conscious how this going across. When when we recorded with Tom there two weeks ago, I was very tired, and I felt yeah. like I just couldn't get into. Do you know what I mean? I just couldn't get going. Like now, thankfully, yeah. Tom's a diamond, and he carried me. He's a big yeah. lad. Like he's got, he's got arms. That lad, and you've got arms. He's able to carry me. You yeah. I mean, whereas, whereas this week, I just, I was, I was a little bit more. Work wasn't as stressful. I wasn't as tired, and I enjoyed it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very so, fair to say, Danny, and it's okay yeah. to say. Yeah. Look, not, not everything can be gold. Not everything can be gold. I enjoyed that. Anyway, and uh, yeah, we've already told you where you can listen to us, and that you can ask Alexa to play us, and she will, and all that kind of crack. Um, he's at American Mania on Twitter. I'm at Andrew Murray on Twitter. I wanted to say he's at Daniel Murray. Yeah, sorry, he he's at Daniel Murray on Instagram. I'm at Mary Gamania on Instagram. Yeah, we're, we're at, at wtspod.com. Uh, oh shit, wtspod.com. We're, we're, we're fucking we're bumping into each other here. No, it's grand. Search wtspod on any podcast provider, and you can get us in your ears instantly. Um, and until next week, Danny, or until not next week, until whenever, whenever we choose, whenever we can get somebody to come on. Yeah, in in the midst of everything that's going on, like you know, like there's no such thing as a schedule right now, lads. There's no such thing as a short thing. Yeah. Um, so look, we'll 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 have an episode when we have an episode. We'll but see until you when, then, when we'll see us. Until then, keep washing your hands. Stay as always. Clear your eyes. Full hearts. Can't. Lose. Too sweet. Wash your hands. Stay at home. <laughs>